This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. I'm your host, Mac, your co-host, Hall of Fame boxing writer, legend himself, uh, Jack Hirsch. And the Philly Sports Guy joining us this morning on our Friday uh, Sports Friday edition here today. So, how you doing today, Pags? I'm doing well. Good morning. Excellent. And Jack, how you doing? Good. A lot of sports going on, Mac. I can't wait to get to it. Me either. And we're going to start off with the Sweet 16. Uh, of fun, course he is, because Connecticut, they got something to talk about with Connecticut. All <laughs> of a sudden, uh, there's 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 sports in in the in New England uh, right around where you live. So go ahead. Right. So so <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up, Pags. First, let's get to Kansas State. Kansas State beats Michigan State. I called that yesterday. Uh, they beat them 98 to 93. UConn, as Pags mentioned, kills Arkansas 88 to 65. Florida Atlanta beats Tennessee 62-55, and Gonzaga beats UCLA 79-76. So two of my three teams are still alive, UConn and Gonzaga. Uh, the other games playing uh, today is uh, San Diego State at Alabama, Miami of Florida at Houston. That's my third team in my final four. You got Penn, Penn uh, Princeton, sorry, at Creighton. See if Princeton can keep it going. Uh, Xavier at Texas. And we have, um, who, who's that? I'm not sure who's that. Florida, oh, sorry, Florida, Atlanta versus Kansas State. UConn will be playing Gonzaga uh, tomorrow. And Kansas State will be at, well, wait a minute. Kansas, who's Kansas State playing tomorrow, guys? You got that? Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. Thank you. And uh, Tennessee. Okay, beautiful. And as Jack calls it, they're moving on to the Elegant Eight. So that's Jack's new name for the Elite Eight is the Elegant Eight. I'll tell you, we all have, when there's several NCAA games, we all have a favorite game of the night that we focus on. And for me, it was Michigan State and Kansas. Kansas was so undisciplined yet they hit big shots, won the game. And to see that coach after with the players, he was like a little kid. He It was as if the coach wanted to be friends with the players, not their coach, their friend. You know, it was at that undisciplined, raw thing. And it's fine. They hit the big shots with Michigan. They, they were not smart percentage shots at the end of the game. And Michigan, that it was trailing, somehow forced the game into overtime. But Kansas won found a way to win it. I don't see them advancing in the tournament beyond maybe one more game. Maybe they get to the final four. I can't see them going like further than that. But to me, that was a, you know, big game of the night. And Connecticut, your your team, Connecticut, Mac, they dominated. Yeah. They dominated. Yeah. They took the fun out of the game. They were never challenged. Yeah, that was that was a real good game. Another good game uh was Gonzaga at UCLA. Uh uh, as you mentioned, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to see here. Well, Gonzaga um, in a way stole that game at the end. Right. They hit they hit a big three point play, and then you know UCLA just you know couldn't get the ball down the court, couldn't get it, 
And, you know, they just seem to steal it at the end. So who do you guys, who are you guys predicting to be in the, the championship now? You guys got any thoughts on who's actually going to play for the championship? Um, I had, I had, my, I have two of my teams that I actually said that I thought would still be in it are still in it. So I, I mentioned Connecticut as well and Xavier. Right. And Xavier's got a tough test today against Texas. If they can get past them, I, I mean, I think what they would have to go up against Houston, I believe, next, or is it uh, the other side of that bracket? But I, mean, I think that it could still, they could still get in there. So you think it may be Texas versus UConn? No, I think Xavier. That okay. Xavier can beat Texas. Jack, what are your thoughts on the championship match? I mean, UConn is looking good. They are looking good. They haven't even had to turn it up a level yet. I mean, it seems like they've never been that seriously challenged like all tournaments. So right now, I mean, UConn looks the best of the lot to me. Yeah. I like UConn at, at Houston for the championship. I will see if that happens or not, but I think that'd be a that would be a great matchup. So okay. So we got Pags with Xavier at Texas. Uh me with U- UConn at Houston. You like UConn. Who would be the other team, Jack? I mean, there's always, listen, there's always Alabama in there, right? Okay. All right. I mean, uh, Alabama cool. basically went into the tournament as a favorite, and uh, it'll be interesting the Brandon Miller watch if Alabama advances. I mean, how that's going to become national news, whether that's going to take anything away from the tournament. And, uh, you know, so, but they got to get by San Diego State, which, you know, they sh- absolutely should do. So okay, I see if Alabama doesn't win it, you know, I could definitely see them, you know, at least going to the championship game. That's a good pick too. So I think we got three good good championship uh, games that could that could happen. Um, in NBA news, and you know, this is this is kind of crazy. Charles Briscoe was arrested Thursday morning, accused of duping one player into transferring seven million dollars, a fake payment to become a full owner of a. Uh, pro women's basketball team. They didn't give the basketball team's name. Um, no money went to the purchase. He also was forging signatures of another player contract, duping a player out of $1 million. So $8 million total, uh, this guy, uh, Mitch, uh, Jeff Howard, was, uh, no, this guy, they didn't, I don't know why they didn't give his name. I thought they gave his name. But anyway, he's in the news. Charles Briscoe, I, I said in the beginning, Charles Briscoe has $8 million that don't belong to him, and he's going to jail for it, it looks like, guys. So, interesting. Well, I hope the person he duped out of the money could afford to lose it, you know, $8 million. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of money. Um, Michigan Well, Ford, I'm sure the money's been recovered because they caught him. But, right. Uh, yeah. Right, right. Um, Michigan forward Jeff Howard to declare for NBA draft. He's a six foot eight. Kid, uh, I guess he's a freshman, versatile skill set, and he's that uh, big guard that everybody wants in the NBA now. So he's declaring uh, his. You uh, know, when you talk about declaring for the draft, I, th- this is unusual that we see projections a year from now because Ronnie James is going to be in the draft. So we're seeing long range projections, not just this year who's going to be drafted, but one whole year past this draft, 
even in the NFL, which is the most anticipated draft of all the sports, all we're doing is focusing on the upcoming draft. We're not looking who's going to be drafted a year down the line past this year. You know, no idea. I mean, sometimes you see a fun little thing and they mention a few players where they might go. But we actually see projections. And I saw a projection for Bronny James. He was going to be number 10 in the 2024 draft, drafted by the Orlando Magic. And, you, you know, you kind of fantasize. That means LeBron's coming to Disney World to play for the Magic, who are a young, improving team with Pancho Panchero, who was the number one pick out of Duke. But that's all fantasy. We, we love fantasizing and projecting and all. Right. Um, in the uh, NBA, the Magic uh, beats the Knicks 111-106. Cleveland beats the Nets 116-114. New Orleans 115, Hornets 96, and the Los Angeles Clippers beat OKC uh, 127 to 105. It seems like the Knicks, Jack, are up and down like on a roller coaster ride. They'll win six games, lose three. They've been doing that all year, and they're trying to hold on to not being the playing right now. Um, no, they won't be a playing team. They're a virtual lock to be in the playoffs. And these games for the Knicks, aren't that important outside of just having momentum establishing themselves because there are uh, the Miami Heat are going to pass the Knicks for the sixth seed. So the Knicks seem pretty much locked into the fifth seed. Okay. And uh, in, in Pags with, uh, you know, with, with your 76ers yesterday, you know, Harden's out and uh, B gets out of the game uh, with a calf, a mild calf strain. But Maxi picks it up. He he jumps out quick. They they they, they blow by the the, uh, the the Bulls, getting an early lead. Would you say you got a top three there now? A big three uh, with Embiid, uh, Harden, and Maxi. Would you call that a big three right now? I don't know if you call it a big three. I mean, I I think it's it's just still consistent with what's going on with the with the East in general. You know, I, I I feel that the Sixers have the best starting five, but no bench. I feel like the Bucks have a really good starting five and a little bench. I feel the Celtics have a good starting five and a really good bench. And I think that the bench is what wins in the playoffs. So Let that's me, what the Sixers are going to have to get beyond. This is my feeling when it comes to the Philadelphia Sixers for the rest of the regular season. I don't think the fans in Philadelphia are focusing on the team as much as they are on Joel Embiid winning the MVP. I think for the rest of the regular season, till the playoffs, that's what the focus is on Philadelphia. They look and they see, well, that the Sixers win, and that's nice if they won. But then they look at the box score, and I think that's where the Philadelphia 76ers fans, you know, their emotions lie right now. Where do you where do you come up with some of your stuff, Jack? I, mean, I, I obviously, I, obviously, you're not spending a lot of time listening to sports talk radio in Philly. I got my connections in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, me, me. But I think you'd like to just say stuff, just to say stuff. Sometimes I think the truth of the matter is, is that right now, from what I, from what I gather, that that Embiid is losing ground in the MVP to Giannis. 
You know, like all of a sudden, like everybody's on the Giannis train. Uh, that that he's going to be like the guy who wins the MVP. So you're I don't think he's really. worthy of being the MVP. That's what you're I saying. I didn't say he's worthy. not worthy at all. I'm just saying that there. I don't think I don't think Embiid wins an MVP, and I feel like that there is something against him in the NBA outside of Philadelphia. That nobody in nobody and outside now of Philadelphia. Philadelphia bias. That's what you're saying with the voters. Basically, they don't want to vote for a guy from Philadelphia because the perception is that Philadelphia is an arrogant city. Case in point, the World Baseball Classic. The USA loses, but Trey Turner and Schwaber, the Philly players, hit home runs. So now the Phillies, Philadelphia fans, and well, we did our part. They're not buying into the full team concept. Uh, with the USA, they, well, our players did their we're, we're exonerated. We're exonerated from the loss. And they want to point the finger elsewhere. Oh, uh, you guys lost. We hit home runs. I mean, I, I that sounds so ridiculous. So ridiculous. Uh, you know, and, and hey, listen, and if you really want to talk about it, Trout is a Philadelphia guy. So, I mean, we not only had back-to-back-to-back Philly in the lineup, but Trout, who made the final out, is also from Philadelphia. So, really, Philadelphia had its mark. He's all, a Jersey all guy. Isn't Trout a Jersey guy? Yeah, but uh, did you oh, hear him with Big Poppy? Did you hear him with Big Poppy? Because let me see if I get this right. Big Poppy goes, let me see if I got this right. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. So, uh, obviously, you know, we know where where their hearts lie, where, where Trout hearts lies. He's a Philly guy. He's a Philadelphia Eagle fan. Okay? Uh, he's also a Phillies fan and also a Flyers fan and a Sixers fan. He he's just more outwardly known fan, for Eagles. He could have went free agent, signed with the Phillies at a no, certain point. Bryce not Harper was trying to history. Not when they're off. The moment, that Trout, uh, the moment that Trout got brought into the conversation with Harper, the moment that Harper said something, because he really, he really, uh, that was at the press conference, you know, that Angel said, well, we have to really work this out now, and gave him a $450 million contract, the largest contract at the time in baseball. Actually, Huh? Yeah. So, but yeah, how do you how do you turn that down? How do you turn that down? There would have been no way he'd have been able to turn that down. No way. Zero. Well, I'm gonna, give you, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you what I always say. Ever. I'm gonna give you what I always say that ticks Jack off. If he really wanted to be a Philly, if he really wanted to be Philly, he take he take what the Phillies offered him and play for the Phillies. So I guess he really didn't want to be a Philly. Okay. Well, yeah. it makes you kind of makes you kind of see. Not that I'm saying I agree with it. But it makes you kind of see what Keith Hernandez says about Philadelphia. He says, "Look, hey, you know what? You know, and, and the Mets are already messing it up. The Mets are already messing it up. Keith Hernandez is still trying to figure out how to be relevant with a team that sucks ass all the time." So, <laughs> I, um... wow. All right, Pags, calm down a little bit. So uh, let's let me give you the standings in the NBA. Let's get back to what we were talking about a little bit. Milwaukee's in first. Boston's in second. The Phillies in third, Cleveland in fourth, the Knicks in fifth right now, Miami in sixth, the Nets followed by Atlanta. That's your top eight. In the West, Denver, Memphis, the Kings, 
the Suns, the Clippers, Golden State, Minnesota, and Dallas. And, you know, I still think I'm a little scared if I'm in the West of the Golden State Warriors. I think that this is a very experienced team that if they get, well, they probably will be in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if they'll make it as a play-in or make it in the sixth spot, the top six. But if they get in there, there's a good chance that these guys can make a run at the championship. I don't know if, how you guys feel. Well, Jack, that's as best you sounded of the whole show. I'm looking at the standings, okay, in the West. And I'm looking at the play-in positions. And I'm going to tell you the number four. Let me just backtrack the playoff position. Phoenix is the number four seed. But they're only two and a half games behind, ahead of a team like OKC, who's not even in the play-in position. Now, OKC's not a threat. But take a team like New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans. Zion is going to be coming back. He should be there for the playoffs. And right now, they're the number 10 seed, which is the cutoff for the play-in position. The Lakers in the play-in position. Dallas is in the play-in position. Minnesota's in the play-in position. None of them even in the playoff position, meaning two of them are going to survive and be in the playoff position when they have their play-in tournament. Those teams are serious threats to win it all. I thought the playoff playoff position, you you were in the top eight, Jack, not top ten. It's top six. I mean, the playoff. And the play-in is seven and eight, right? Seven to ten. Seven, Seven, yeah. Seven, eight, nine, and ten have their play-in tournament. And then the two two survivors of that make a top eight. Gotcha. Okay. And Golden State right now is the number six seed. You just mentioned them. They're just a game or a game and a half ahead of really good teams. So, you know, certain clubs still have their work cut out for them. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and back to the East, I mean, does anybody still doubt that Boston ends up in the championship? Well, Boston's two and a half games behind Milwaukee. You know, they're in the second seat right now. So what makes Boston so invincible? Why should we buy into Boston? They went to the finals last year, lost in six games to Gold State. Boston certainly can win the NBA championship. It wouldn't be a shock. It wouldn't even be a surprise if they did it. But Boston, I don't think they've distinguished themselves as a better team than Milwaukee. Not They haven't necessarily distinguished themselves as a better team than Philadelphia. Philadelphia's bench shows up for the playoffs. You know, who's to say that Philadelphia couldn't beat Boston in the playoffs? And Cleveland is the team I picked to go to the finals. I mean, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, yeah. I, I think them and Miami, too. I think Miami's, Miami's still alive. For sure. Miami passed the Brooklyn Nets. And they're the sixth seed now, and they have to cut off for the playoff position. The Nets are going to be in the play-in position. They're not going to fall out of that. They have too big of a cushion. But you could forget the Nets. It's a rebuild. They'll be in the play-in position. They'll probably lose, you know, in the first round of the play-in position, and they'll be out. Right. I, I, I see that. Um, so, um, turning to football, there's – there's a story that a non-agent might be contacting teams uh, for Lamar Jackson. Now, this is a business partner of his. The NFL sent out a memo to all the teams that a person non-certified 
by the National Football League Players Association might be uh, attempting to persuade teams to uh, negotiate with Lamar. And this is per Adam Shifter. And, of course, uh, uh, he uh, Lamar denies it, so does the other guy. I'm not sure how you get certified when, when Byron comes in. We'll talk about it. But, you know, I think Lamar is his own worst enemy when it's coming to getting a contract. You know, he has his aunt there. He's negotiating for himself. Now, the possibility that a friend is now involved, a business partner. Um, I mean, I don't know how you how you plan to negotiate with anybody when you're having problems. And I think this is why they're not negotiating with him, Jack. I think they're not negotiating with him because this is not a, a, a professional a professional agent that they can talk to. They can't talk to a professional agent. Lamar won't allow it. You know, you talk about professional agent. What makes these guys more knowledgeable, these agents, to put together contract than Lamar Jackson? Okay? I mean, the agents get 5%. And what, you know, some agents are former players. When did they become so knowledgeable when they retired from the game? You know, I understand about certification, but hypothetically, if Lamar Jackson authorizes anyone, even a guy on the street, to negotiate on his behalf, bottom line, Lamar Jackson has to sign the contract. There's a play, the NFL Players Association has already informed Lamar Jackson. They'll help him through the process. They, the NFL Players Association can't negotiate a contract, the money terms that Lamar Jackson makes. But they can inform him of all his rights. They can inform him approximately of what the market can be. And then Lamar Jackson has to make his decisions. If he wants a friend of his in on the meeting while they're negotiating, okay. Bottom line, Lamar Jackson has to sign off on it. Okay. And we talk about certification. Yeah, I understand that. But what happens if Lamar Jackson's friend wants to get certified I'm not sure what the process is. What does he have to do to get certified exactly? I'm not sure because we have a number of guys who sign contracts that aren't that good also, and they do it upon the agent's advice. You know, so this Lamar Jackson thing, his image looks bad because, oh, his mom's involved, his uncle, his this, his that. Who's to say they're negotiating any worse? He's playing hardball, Lamar Jackson. What is Lamar Jackson doing different now than what Scott Boris would do as an agent for big league players? He takes them to the wire. Yeah, but but I think I think Pags might agree with me here. Why, when you can easily get yourself an agent who can represent you with the Ravens or any other team, why do you want to shoot yourself in the foot? Why do you want to call in your mom? And why do you want to call in friends to help negotiate? What do you think, Pags? Uh, I mean, listen, some people just have the right idea, you know, and and I I can't tell anybody uh, how to live their lives. Uh, I understand why he doesn't want an agent. You know what I mean? It's like it's who's going to be able to tell you what's best for you when you got family who can do that. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, 
you know, misnomer in terms of the fact that people think that you can't represent yourself. I think that he can represent himself pretty well. I think there's a problem right now across the NFL where everybody's looking at this Deshaun Watson contract and saying it's an absolutely ridiculous contract and we can't use that as the market, that that's such an outlier to anything else that's ever been done before because Cleveland, you know, Brown franchise is a, a ridiculous franchise to have offered that in the first place, that they are, you know, that it's it's screwing up everybody else. And that's I the problem. I disagree with you, Pags. If Cle the Cleveland Browns, the only way they were going to get Deshaun Watson is by offering him the mega guaranteed contract. And Deshaun Watson, when he gets it together, is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's just rusty. He's basically been off. He was off a year, and then he came back last year, and he was pretty rusty. But we don't know if he's – we don't know if it's if it was rust or if it's him now. You know what I mean? There's no there's no guarantee he that he's – Deshaun Watson wasn't with the team – Till what the eleventh, twelfth game of the season, right? He, you know, so you come back, you you shake the cobwebs out. He's going to be fine this year. He's going to be really good. So the only way Cleveland could have gotten Deshaun Watson was with a fully guaranteed contract at big money, and that's what happens in free agency. They didn't I mean, know that. So they Lamar didn't know that. You don't know what he would have accepted. And the truth of the matter is, is the fact that there hasn't been another contract that's been anywhere close close to that. Because system. he did not, the people forget, eliminated the Cleveland Browns as a team he would go to. And then all of a sudden he veered back to Cleveland out of nowhere because Cleveland came back with this massive deal and he grabbed right. it. Okay, at that point. Now, Lamar Jackson, the holdup is, as you said, if the Ravens gave him a fully guaranteed deal at Deshaun, at a Deshaun Watson price, a tiny bit more, chances are he grabs it. He's a Raven. Of course it, he would. Of fun. course he would. But he's not. they're not going to do that because they're not the Cleveland Browns. The, but the, Browns right. the Browns as a franchise went way over the top. To pay him, and that's why, again, that's why there's no other contracts. It, the, it, every other owner in the NFL look at that as like the pink elephant in the room. Like it's like, oh, you are you guys were smacked, you guys were, you know, just screwed up with the way that you handled that contract. So now we're going to, you know, we got to step back. We got to let that all kind of play out and show how bad of a contract that winds up being. But Pax, you're right. You're, you're correct on this. When someone sets the bar like Cleveland did with Deshaun Watson, everyone's going to be all the elite players are going to be expecting something that someone else in their position got. It's just the way it goes. Right. You know, and nobody wants to do that. Nobody's I, doing it. We, in any sport, even the Aaron Judge contract, for example, forty million a year. David Cohn said about that contract why it was a good contract for the Yankees at forty million a year. He says, you know, in about five six years, that might be a bargain for the Yankees. That amount because the amount a player gets a year is going to rise. Otani, Otani's definitely getting over fifty million a year. Case closed. 
So when you get a great player like a Juan Soto, when he becomes a free agent, he's going to want something approaching that. Good morning, Byron. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Byron, Byron, I'm glad you came in when you did. We're discussing the Lamar Jackson situation. And maybe you can help us up because you're, you're with the NFLPA and you might know what's going on with, with Lamar. Lamar Jackson uh, has a non – uh, agent content contacting teams on his behalf. Um, and the NFL sent out a memo to all the teams that a person not certified by the national football player players association might be attempting to persuade teams to negotiate with Lamar. And per, this is per Adam shifter and the not agent who is Ken Francis might be contacting teams Francis denies it. Lamar denies it. What What's going on? Uh, I mean, what do they mean by certified, Byron? Do you know? Yeah, he has to be certified uh, through the NFLPA, and this guy's not certified. And so he's not allowed to negotiate or contact NFL teams on, on any player behalf. So he's not officially a guy that can represent a player in the National Football League. But okay. – uh, Lamar Jackson said, "Stop lying." So I don't know if this a yeah. is this a ploy to get more attention to his to his, to address his needs or concerns. But right now, you know, Lamar Jackson, if he gonna represent his own self, he should contact Mark Levy in the NFLPA office, which could get him any information that he need for his negotiation or player contract. So I don't know if this something that the media, uh, something that's being drawn up, but. Uh, Lamar Jackson said, "Stop lying." So I think it it could be just something to draw more attention to to this situation. Byron, anyone can advise anyone else, but it's just a question that that individual can't, unless he's certified, can't talk to the Ravens on Lamar Jackson's behalf. But he could certainly advise Lamar Jackson, and then Lamar Jackson can do the talking to the team directly. I think it has to do with direct contact. Absolutely, yes. Because he, because he is a player, so he's able to negotiate his own contract. Byron, do you think Lamar Jackson is just shooting himself in the foot? I mean, he's the only one that's preventing himself, to me, to sign a contract with any team. I mean, all he needed to do, and I know I know the agent gets a percentage, so what's 5% of $200 million or whatever he's going to make? He's he, If he got an agent, this would all be resolved already. You know, he would he would talk to other teams. He would he would represent Lamar Jackson, and and it probably would be done by now. And they, uh, Lamar Jackson have to pay him five percent. He don't have to pay him five percent. He can pay him two percent. It's, oh, it's, okay. He okay. can pay him. Yeah, he can pay him two percent. But the point is, I think you know, so many in the past, so many players have had agents to represent them, and I know Richard Sherman and a couple other guys in the past have done their own contract, but. In this case, you know, they they just making it more. Um, I guess it's just a bigger bigger news because of what he have done in the past and what's happening to him. And at first, it was him and his mom negotiating his contract. So now, you know, it's it's becoming real hot because he he's not he's not hadn't signed. He don't want to sign that offer sheet. Or he signed the offer sheet, but right now he's able to negotiate with other teams. But right now, it's just that he's not go, it's not moving and not going nowhere because it's pretty, you know, people, most teams are concerned about the draft and other things that they're concerned with. 
And I think right now they're getting ready to go into the owners uh, meeting with uh, what's going on with the owners. So some negotiations have stopped for us signing free agents and things like that as well. Well, let me understand the timeline with Lamar Jackson right now. The Ravens franchised him mm-hmm. under the tag when another team can bid on him, sign him to a contract, and the Ravens have the right to match whatever another team does. So let's say another team gives Lamar Jackson to Sean Watson type money. Now Lamar Jackson has his money either with the Ravens or the other team because the Ravens could match. If the Ravens don't match, they get two number one draft picks, you know, in exchange, you know, for Lamar Jackson going elsewhere. What happens, though, if no one bids on Lamar Jackson and he's just franchise tapped? And now we go into next year. Can't they franchise tag him a second year? And okay. what is and what is Lamar Jackson going to do? I, I, I'm asking all you guys. Is he going to sit out? Is he going to have an attitude? Is he going to be a leader? What is going to happen? We can only speculate, but I don't get good vibes if I'm the Ravens of Lamar Jackson being a happy guy coming in, continuing to be a leader. I think if he has his toenail gets broken, he's going to sit out a game. Absolutely, because he's, he's really unhappy because of the way they've been handling this situation and, and negotiation. And, you know, when a player gets franchise tag, they do kind of get pissed off at the, about that because they, especially in Lamar Jackson's case, I mean, only two players in the National Football League have ever got unanimous, unanimous MVP, which is Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson. So, I just think he's probably frustrated and, and, and mad about it. And I think the Ravens should, you know, they should have offered him more money or he's offered him a good contract, just just depending on what he have done and what he meant to the team. And so I, I can see it working both ways. And I just think right now it's it's kind of sad that, you know, the, the Ravens is handling his, his situation that way because he deserved to be signed based off of the performance and based off his past history. Well, That's good, morning. good morning, Melissa. Jamie, there she is. Uh, Jamie's girl there. You have a great weekend too, uh, Melissa. You know, Byron, um, is there is there do you think there is some kind of collusion between the owners? I don't mean they're out there talking about it, you know, uh, at the meeting. Like a silent co- collusion where they're just not they're not gonna sign Lamar, they're not gonna offer him anything because of what happened with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be a collusion, collusion, but I, you know, I think in the past it, it would know people used to not have try to try to sign other players from from team, but this I think things have changed a lot. So I think there's a lot of openness, and, and I think now players are able to move a little bit more freely just because of the way the NFL have grown and and things have have occurred in the past. But I think. Um, it is what it is. I just think some teams don't want to touch that because it, it could bring a lot of division in the locker room and things like that. So I, I think it's depending on what team it is. But there's a couple of teams out there that probably need him and probably want him. But you know, it's always negotiation behind the behind the scenes. It's it's always you know people are, are, are moving pieces and 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 seeing if this would fit and if this could happen. What if this would happen? So. It's a lot of that going on as well. But like I said, it's getting close to the owners meeting. And so it's some teams um, after the owners meeting, something might happen uh, on his behalf. I think, you know, it's just a matter of probably a couple of weeks and 
and see what happens. But right now, that's movement again. That's talk again. So I think it could be a good thing, though. Okay. All right. We'll get to the uh, Giants free agent signings in a second. But I want to talk to you about what's coming up next for the NFL teams. I mean, you you have uh, you know you have the draft. You're going to have more free agents. Well, you have free agent signings up to the draft. You'll have the draft. They're going to be uh, guys that are put on uh, unrestricted uh, rookies coming into camp. You're going to be having uh, you know people be put on waivers. People be being picked up on waivers. I mean, there's still a lot more to go before, you know, the season starts and they have their teams. Yeah, of course, there's OTAs, which is, um, you know, training camps and things like that, too. And, you know, immediately after the draft, they bring in the rookies that that were drafted and uh, highlight those guys as well. But, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a lot of movement, uh, a lot of uh, free agents that signed. They got to get – that new playbook system in place. And so it's a, it's a lot of movement. So, yeah. Um, and this is a very most important critical part of the NFL and what, you know, what our team can position themselves just based off the new signees and the draft choices and, and the free agent guys. Yeah. Cause fans get all crazy about one signing and not signing this person. It really doesn't mean anything until, you know, until they start forming their teams, it really doesn't mean anything. Right, and and then you know there's a couple of coaches that moved 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 away from the team that they were with last year, so it's a lot of movement. A lot of things need to be. I mean, plus it's it's new system that's in place for some of the some of the football guys as well. So yeah, very true. So let's let's get to the Giants free agency because I know Pags is really interested in who we just signed. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll let him let him listen in on this part here. So the Giants signed tight uh, end Tommy Sweeney from Buffalo. And I guess he's going to be with their blocking tight end there. That's what they're saying. Anyway, he's a big, big guy that, that is not really going to be a receiver. He's going to be a blocker. Uh, they got cornerback Antani. Good luck with this name. Or a Tariv uh, from Detroit wide receiver, um, Jamison Crowder, who played with Buffalo the Jets in Washington and Bobby McCain from Washington, uh, the skins, Cornerback Leonard Johnson. Um, what do you think of those uh, free agents, Byron? I mean, we just talked about the probably most of these or half of these guys won't end up with the team. I know the Jack's Giants. nervous about those pickups. I know time. he is too. Jack's I know he's really he's nervous. Yeah, so nervous. <sighs> <laughs> well, you know, I think I think you know, uh, seem like some of the coaches that's on the Giants staff probably familiar with a couple of those players, which means that that could be good for. Um, overall longevity during the team, the process because you got practice, you got you got to plug in players. They got to play, you know. They got to come in and assimilate other players from other teams. But uh, but yeah, I, I just think too. I think with the with the with the style of uh, going on this season so long, there's gonna be injuries. Maybe some of these players can come in and bring some type of instant success uh, success for us. Um, being able to win a game here and there and making a play here and there. So that's, that's a good thing. That's always a good thing. You, you never know how these players can come in and, you know, add some type of uh, consistency with, you know, simulating other players from other teams. I mean, with the games today with 18, at 18 week schedule, you need depth on the team. Now you need uh, the extra. You, you just see how many people got injured last year. It's a lot of players got injured. So, you know, it, it it's, it's a long season now. What were we saying, Jack? 
No, it's actually 17 games, 18 weeks, you're right, with the bye week, you know, right. in there too. I, I, you know, you talk about what the Giants in free agency, but every team makes moves in free agency. It's whether they make a splash or not. From the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm very concerned about the Dallas Cowboys because mm. the Cowboys have made high impact moves, yeah. high impact. Yeah. Getting Brandon Cooks as, you know, an elite wide receiver along with Lamb. So now they got two wide receivers that could compete with, you know, Brown and Smith, the Eagle receivers, getting Ronald Jones. That's a major pickup from Kansas City. He was elite when he was with Tampa Bay. Ronald Jones is going to have a big year with the Cowboys. Now you got Stephen Gilmore at, you know, at the corner, you know, as well. And, you know, the Cowboy defense is very good. The pressure's really going to be on Dak Prescott. He was awful in the playoff game they got eliminated in. The pressure's on him to step up next year. Next, this this upcoming season is extra big for Dak Prescott. Well, I see Pags was, it doesn't seem worried about the Dallas Cowboy free agent pickup. I'd be very concerned. I, 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 I listen. I got to be honest. I got to be honest. Well, I'm with Jack on this. Pags, they've made some significant moves, uh, picking up some really good players. Uh, good for them. And, and CJ uh, Cooks, Cooks is like way over the hill now. I feel like that he's down on the, the, the bottom side of his career. You yeah, know what no I mean? I, someone use it with Houston. That's why he had to get out of there. He had no quarterback to throw to him. On yeah. the downside, down the downside of his career. And, you know, he may have he may have some left in the tank. That's great. But uh, I'm not concerned because, again, uh, their offensive line isn't the big isn't the greatest so that that if you started to tell me that they started to bolster their offensive line i'd be more nervous i'm not nervous okay all right well brandon cooks to me uh he's been getting over a thousand yards per year and like you said coming from houston this will be a a little highlight i think he'll be playing with some some more excitement. I, I think he, yeah. but the only thing that I that I figure out about the Cowboys, I don't know if Mike McCarthy be able to handle all the the new, you know, be able to call plays and be the head coach and all that. So that's my concern with the Cowboys. I don't know if he can do all that. Well, that's why well, Mike McCarthy will be calling the plays this year. That's because they moved on from Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator. Obviously, there was a conflict with him and Mike McCarthy, and the Joneses gave Mike McCarthy the okay. This is your offense. You run the plays, but you better produce. So it's right. all on the line for Mike McCarthy this year. Even though he's won 12 and 5 the last two years, the perception is, oh, Mike McCarthy hasn't gotten a job done 12 and 5 two years in a row. Most teams would take that. Absolutely. Well, That's did. all they're doing in the National Football League. They did, they did pick up offensive coordinator Stottlemyre there. In you know, his father was a head coach in in, in, in the NFL. And his style is is running the ball. That's what his father did. It looks like that's what mm -hmm. Dallas is going to do. Schottenheimer, Brian Schottenheimer. Yeah, yeah. Schottenheimer's story. And and they're gonna they're gonna be running the ball a lot, according to what I've read. Dallas is going to run the ball more. And last year they did they did pass way too much, in my opinion. They had a chance, uh, you know, running out the clock or or putting drives together, and they just went back and threw the ball. Yeah, if they're going to run the ball more, if they're going to run the ball more, there's this, uh, there's a running back who's available right now. I think his name is Zeke Elliott. <laughs> uh, he might be, he might be worthwhile for them to pick up. 
They yes. have Ronald Jones and Tony Pollard. They have two really good backs. Ronald Jones. Ronald no, Jones. I don't, is, I don't think Ezekiel Elliott has much left in the tank, but well, he's a name. So a few teams are going to be pretty interested in them. The Jets, the Chiefs. I could see him going to Kansas City because Kansas City likes to. Andy Reid likes to pick up some guys kind of a little off the scrap heap who were once elite. Like Levian Le- 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 Bell, Darrell Revis, you know, guys. No, I thought that was a Belichick thing to do. Belichick likes to pick up uh, veterans that uh, are a little bit on the scrap heap. I, I don't yeah. really look at it as Andy Reid doing that. Andy Reid, Andy Reid likes um, to take care of some of the players that have crossed his path before. I, I believe that, you know what I mean. So, but short of that, I don't, I don't know that Zeke falls into that category. Plus, they've got they've got Edwards Alaire over there still, and that new guy who you know did pretty well in the Super Bowl. So oh, I, I can't imagine, yeah, yeah Pachenko. So I don't think that either one of those. I mean, and, and I mean Zeke said, "Hey, listen, uh, these are the three teams I'm interested in: uh, the Jets, the Bengals, and the Eagles." And I, I'm like, you know. It's funny because uh, Philadelphia is. There's been a little bit of talk saying, "Hey, I think I'm I'm up for Zeke," and I'm like, I know the Dallas Cowboys who put on a Philadelphia Eagles uniform don't perform well. They do not perform well for some reason or another. There is a disconnect from one to the other. The only thing that I would like to have with Zeke would be just his knowledge of the offense, the uh, the uh, offense, even though it's a new offensive coordinator. You know, he's going to have some intimate details about the offense that you could pick his brain about. Short of that, I, I mean, I'm not really concerned about having Zeke. Well, I would well, you, know, Zeke. you know, you know, Pags, and I think, I, you know, Byron's down there in, in, in the Dallas area. I'm sure he watches the Cowboys. I know Zeke has lost a lot, but he still can catch the ball out of the backfield. He still can pick up them tough yards. And I think he'd be perfect for the Jets. I think he'd be great in the Jets uniform uh, with Aaron Rodgers back there. And you know, picking the throwing the uh, ball in the backfield to Zeke, and, and maybe picking up a first down or two. I, so here's the here's what I think about Zeke. I mean, and, and I don't know that it's lost in the tank, but some running backs run really well behind a great offensive line, and some running backs can run really well without a great offensive line. And you could see the difference. The speed in Pollard makes made him really good last year, much better than Zeke because their offensive line was not so good. You know, like when I think of uh, the the best behind a terrible offensive line was Barry Sanders because he could make people miss. You know, and that's like if you gave him a really good offensive line, I'm not sure Barry Sanders would have been so great. Yeah, I'm, let me let me scratch that. I, I don't know. I I don't know if he would have been able to achieve some of the levels he had of of his status because he was able to make people miss because they were coming after him because the offensive line stunk so bad. I think that if you had a much better offensive line, that him getting into the second level, well, some of them would have been there still because they just got blocked into that level. So I I feel that that's a little bit about what happened with Zeke that he has to play for with a good offensive line in front of him. And that's where you're going to get the ma- the majority of his production. Uh, when you have a bad offensive line, he just doesn't run that way, which means they can get their hands on him and he, they can bring him down. Just well, my opinion. Well, let's talk about two backs that are a little bit like Barry Sanders, right? First, 
Saquon Barkley, I, I guess you could say the same thing about him last year. Bad offensive line, had to had to had to do it almost all himself and then his moves and you know his speed and power and stuff like that. And and Sanders, I think, is another one that's similar. I mean, he is he depends a lot on making moves and cuts and and his speed. I mean, was that the problem with Sanders last year that that maybe the line was too good, Pags? A little bit. I so I think so as you talk about that, I think that Sanders, Sanders specifically. As it gets colder, Sanders had a problem running the ball. He didn't like getting hit in the cold, so you had to you had to switch to Gainwell. And I'll tell you specifically, the Chicago game is what signed off Sanders from being re-signed as an Eagle last year because he was uh, as as another NFL player uh, expressed to me in his exact words is that he was tipping. So you could tell like he was tiptoeing to the line to try to find the hole because he was not interested in getting hit because it was too cold. Uh, so they had to go with Gainwell and such like that. And I believe that that was because of stuff like that, that Sanders moved on to a warmer climate. That's why he's playing down in Carolina. Now I, uh, I feel that there are players that are able to do that and players that aren't able to do that. Sanders did pretty well, but when it came to the playoffs, Gainwell had more of the carries. Yeah. So, uh, it's. I think that Gainwell is the north-south back, you know, for stuff like that. That he hits the holes and he's able to get into that secondary with a good offensive line. You actually take away some of that good offensive line. I don't know that he is as well. You know, what I mean, I don't think he does as well. Uh, that's where you need like the Boston Scott, the elusive guy. You know what I mean? And I think that that's where that's where they try to use him when their offensive line isn't doing so great or when the schemes like the Giants like to scheme pretty well against the Eagles offensive line. And that's why Boston Scott really torches them because they overthink the offensive line. They start giving the ball to Scott. Well, Scott's able to to hide behind that offensive line and sneak around them. And by the time you realize that he's passed you, it's too late. Yeah, Byron, what do you what do you think? What do you think the year is going to be like for Saquon Barkley? He had a great year last year. Um, do you think he does better, the same, or worse? I think he I think he'll get better. I, I just think uh, he he had a year up on his belt with his knee, you know, his knee being fixed, and I think he um, he's he's going to be running with more uh, confidence. And I, I just think um, you know he. He he made he made the offense move last year. I think he was the biggest key factor for the for the offense. And now with the coaches that they have, I think he should do well. You know what gets me too with the Giants? You hear people uh, like even like Mac, who's apprehensive to sign Saquon Barkley, where he could be injury prone, this and that. But then they get excited when the Giants sign the tight end Dar Darren Waller was good at one point, but he's been injury prone the last couple of years. So I don't want to hear this hypocrisy about Saquon Barkley. Well, maybe he shouldn't get the money. He's been hurt. Let him prove that he's healthy for a while. I mean, come so on. The hard part is, is that, again, the, the running back position has started to become undervalued. Like the, the value level is down on a running back so to give the type of money to give to make a running back uh two percent of your mm -hmm. payroll is now looking a little crazy 
You know what I mean? Because it's you don't want to give your your running back that much money that you could have that money go elsewhere. And that six million dollars is like maybe easier to stomach than 12 to 15 million. Yeah, but let me tell you the, the value of the running back. Look at the Jets. Okay, they were seven and four at one point. They lose their last six games, go seven and ten. Brees Hall, their main running back, their great rookie, got injured and he's out. And that affected Zach Wilson because it just had no running game. They had problems on the offensive line. And Zach Wilson had his own problems, you know, granted. But I don't understand how you devalue the running back position. If you get a guy who's a true weapon like a Barry Sanders and Eric Dickerson, I mean, these guys are vital. These guys are major difference makers. Well, one of the things that I saw uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to talk to Austin Egler, the running back for the, for the Chargers, and I saw where they gave him the, the the that he could move around and talk to other teams. I, I think and he's one of the top running backs in the NFL. He's in the top three, I think. So I just think, yeah, it, it is to the point to where when when a running back get 27, 28, close to 30, you know, they value, you know, these teams just don't value running backs anymore. And, but I, I think when you get a, an Austin Eckler and, and those type of running backs, you know, that have been very productive and had been and uh, had had much injuries, I think you have to sign these guys. But, but yeah, nobody want to sign them over two or three years, you know, because injuries been piling up against running backs. And that's just a fact. So, you know, that's why these receivers, the fifth and sixth and seventh, uh, place receivers on your team is looking more uh, attractive to teams now because now they can use these players and they, these players are versatile. And uh, so th- that's what's happened with the NFL, the, the movement and the assignment of the players being able to catch, run, and make some things happen like Debo, San- Debo Samuel. Yeah, and you could say the, say the same thing with the Philadelphia wide receiver. I think what's his name, Gainesville uh, uh, Pags, number Gainswell. 14. He's not, he's yeah, not a receiver. He's a running back, Gainswell. He looks like a receiver. He's so thin and, and quick. So, uh, you know, I imagine he can catch the ball if he has to. Uh, but so anyway. He does, he does catch the ball a little bit for the backfield. So, I mean, here's what I kind of believe. And, and maybe maybe you could tell me, Byron, if, I, if, if my thought process is wrong. I kind of feel that what's going to happen and that the shift – here within the next couple of years is going to be that running backs are going to wind up being more considered first round talent because you're going to get that fifth year option because of the way that the you know the NFL Players Association deal with contracts when it comes to getting that extra year uh, in the first round rather than getting a second round and only having four years that running backs are going to get these one and done contracts where they're going to get these five year contracts first round money, but it's going to be low enough where you don't have to go above a certain ceiling. And then unless they make it through that five year window without really getting hurt and really showing something special, they'll start to move on and take another first round pick five years from now where they'll have the same type of situation where they'll be able to get another five years out of somebody who's very fresh because 22 to 27, you know, not that a running back's over 27, but he can get his second bite at the apple somewhere else where he can get maybe get his money. But we're going to go after a younger guy who's going to be able that we're going to be able to control for five years. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I'm not and everybody know your second contract is the most important contract in the NFL. So if they if they can't sign these guys coming out of college 
and they try to keep them, you know, they try to sign them for at least four to five years. So they, they ain't got to worry about that being able to uh, have a problem with it, with the salary cap as well. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think and running backs in that, in that, in that position, in that space, gonna have a, a, a problem with getting the big money that, that players have done in the past, in the last 10 years. Agree. Yeah, your, your mic's off yet. Guys, uh, the draft, okay? A few quarterbacks are going to go early this year, unlike last year where Kenny Pickett was the first quarterback taken going to the Steelers. He fell to them. Malik Willis went in the third round. But this year, you you know, chances are you're going to have – you might have four of them taken in the first five picks. Even though I'm not high on Anthony Richardson – Teams say he's intriguing because of all his potential, what he shows at the combines, which I think is utter nonsense. Uh, but it, you know, the Carolina Panthers now have the top pick, and they're trying to be coy. But why be coy about the whole thing? Who they're going to take? Unless they're planning on taking C.J. Stroud, but they're thinking, let's say he gets seriously injured in the interim, how would that make uh, Bryce Young feel? knowing he would be second choice. I guess it's smart to kind of play it quiet, but I can't believe Carolina hasn't made up their mind for the most part, that they're internally debating and arguing. And is there danger of them overthinking things, not taking C.J. Sprout or Bryce Young, taking Levis, the kid from Kentucky, or is is there a chance of them overthinking things? I, I don't think they – I think they don't decide who they really want. I, I really do. And I think maybe uh, they're, just not, they're just not revealing it. So yeah. I'm thinking that they really know which quarterback they like and they're going to take that particular quarterback. And um, and I, I, I would take I would take CJ, I think, because of the upsides and some – you know, a, bit, a little bit bigger. And so I, I just think that um, – you know, I just think both quarterbacks are going to be pretty successful in the National Football League. I do believe that. I'm I'm not too sure about who they're talking second, uh, Bryce, whatever his name is. There, I, I I've lost. I got a brain freeze here. Bryce Young, yeah, Bryce Young. I I think I think that's going to be a little iffy. I think he's small. Depends on where he plays. If he's in cold weather, or uh, you know, if he's at an outdoor stadium, I think that's going to affect him a lot more than people think. Um, you know, he, he's. He's 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 very light. He's going to have to move around the pocket a lot. He already he's already been injured once. I think this is a case where he may end up being someone like a Kyle Murray who gets who gets injured and might end up uh, you know not playing a lot of the time. So that's what I'm worried about with Bryce Bryce Young. I think the Kyle Murray pick. You know, if you don't like that pick for Arizona, you know how it's worked out. I mean. It's not his physical tools. Those are fine. It's his maturity level. I think it, it, it character issues, and I don't think you have that with Bryce Young by all indications. Well, I think I think you know, it's. Go ahead. I, I would say it's not too many quarterbacks out there still ready to come in and make that that great impact. And I still still say some of these guys have to come in and see the game from from a different perspective for the speed of the game the playbooks, the adjustment that you have to make, you know, getting used to the linemen. And, and the speed of the game is so critical. So it, it's going to be de- going to depend mm-hmm. on how fast track you can get these quarterbacks ready because you look at the guys in the last two years. I mean, they hadn't been coming in and, and blowing up the NFL 
And, uh, you know, guys said, you know, look at Zach Wilson and, and, and you know, and, and Trey Lance. All those guys, just, just you can look at the names of the guys who've been, been highly picked but hadn't done nothing. Yeah, but let me tell you what's interesting. C.J. Stroud is a natural leader. He expects to play right off the bat. He's come from a big-time program in Ohio State. He's ready. I know Mac is a big believer in carrying the clipboard for a year, but he's carrying the clipboard for Carolina behind a faded Andy Dalton. I mean, come on. Just play him. He's ready. He can't wait to get started. Yeah, it, uh, to me, it depends on on the quarterback, Jeff, and who and who's you know the starting quarterback on the team. If if you're bringing in a young guy and you already got a veteran there, a good veteran, not an old veteran, but a good veteran, then he should be sitting down and learning. Um, if you don't have a strong quarterback there and a CJ Stroud goes out there, I still think it's going to be difficult for him, like it was for Trey, uh, Trevor Lawrence in the beginning. But he'll catch on as as the year goes on and be a quarter a real good quarterback the following year. I think it all depends on, on what team and what the quarterback situation is for that team. Well, I'm, I think it's the coach, uh, guys. If Doug Peterson was Trevor Lawrence's coach in his rookie year, including the second year, his development, which has been coming along very nicely, by the way, would have started sooner. But being there with Urban Meyer, it held things up. You know, it held things up big time. I, I yeah, I agree with that. that. I agree with that. He, he definitely – Needed a Doug Peterson earlier, but now you see the results this past year. Yeah. And, and you know, a name I haven't heard all, all week long or haven't heard much of, uh, what's going on with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, is, is he going to be a Jet? Is he going to be, is well, he going to be this color green or this color green? Uh, yeah. Someone's going to have to blink at some point. The Jets made a subtle move trading Elijah Moore to the Browns. So that, that means they, and they flip-flop picks, meaning the Jets got Cleveland's second pick. Cleveland got the Jets' third round, you know, draft pick. So now the Jets go in this year's draft, number 13, number 42, number 43. They don't want to give up the number one pick, number 13, but they have kind of this draft capital, which they could put in front of the Packers. What do you do if you're the Packers? Because you could overplay your hand. You know, could you imagine it gets to the point where all of a sudden the Jets deliver Thunderbolt out of nowhere and they sign, let's say, Matthew Stafford, who would be a good quarterback for the Jets, by the way. Okay? Where does that leave Green Bay? Could you imagine Aaron Rodgers showing up at camp in Green Bay after they promise a job to Jordan Love? And Aaron Rodgers calls it bluff. He says, well, I guess I'll just collect my money and back Jordan up. I'll be the backup quarterback to Jordan. You know how uncomfortable things are going to be in that building? They're going to tell Aaron to stay home. And who are they going to trade him to? What are they going to get at that point? It, it's, uh, man, so it, both teams are kind of waiting, playing it out. But at some point, resolve it. If I'm the Jets, I maybe just give my number one pick, number 13, one player, case closed. If you take that Green Bay, we move on. Good morning, Keith. How you doing today? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Not too bad. We're just uh, again talking about the Aaron Rodgers. Uh, uh, oh, is that still happening? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's brand new, so uh, we decided to break the story here. Um, you know, it's the same old, same old with with Aaron, the Jets, and the Packers, and the Packers holding things up, and Aaron might call their bluff and the whole nine yards. So 
Still relevant, though, with Aaron Rodgers, I guess. Uh, you know, we talked, of course, about Lamar Jackson and the guy representing him that can't represent him and that whole mess they got over there in Baltimore. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll move along and get with the stuff you cover. Let's talk about the NCAA tournament. Uh, the Sweet 16 started. Uh, UConn uh, gets a win. Gonzaga gets a win. Two of my teams are still alive. I'm not bragging, Keith, but they're still alive. And, uh, and uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on yesterday's games? Yeah, as far as uh, picks, I've got three of my final four left. But, unfortunately, the fourth one was a team I had winning at all. So, I'm in pretty dire straits there. Right. One, one bracket was just totally destroyed. That was the uh, East. I had Marquette and uh, – and uh, Memphis getting to the Elite Eight. So you can tell how my bracket went there. Uh, listen, this has been a, an interesting tournament because you are finding, you know, for the second time in three years, we got a 16 beating a one. That's not going to be that out of the norm going forward. There's a lot of parity with NIL and transfer portals and, and uh, you know, the inexperience on some of the power uh, uh, conference schools compared to the experience of the mid-majors. I think Princeton's got a great shot tonight to beat Creighton. And you, I can't even be shocked if they go to the Final Four at this point. Uh, there's just a, it, It's a lot of fun to watch. I think FAU's going to make the Final Four. They're going to play uh, Kansas State. And I think, again, after watching Kansas State play Memphis State, or I'm sorry, uh, Michigan State last night, not a vintage uh, Michigan State uh, Tom Izzo team. Um, and they just, to me, they were out of control. I watch them at the end of that. Uh, overtime and I'm like these guys I don't know what they're doing throwing up 30 foot three pointers with six seconds left on the shot clock and they got a break because it got tipped but it's a wide open tournament you mentioned UConn playing great basketball since the halftime of the Iona game where they were trailing here in Albany um, they have probably played as well as anybody in the tournament they handled a really good St. Mary's team handily uh, they beat up a team I thought was going to give them a, a go last night in Arkansas they didn't let them get to the rim like they did uh, against Kansas, and they can't shoot the basketball. Yeah. And it's a good team. It's a fun team. There's no real one real big star. There's a lot of kids who just perform their roles, um, and and Danny Hurley's done a great job there. Yeah, yeah. speed Byron, and defense. I mean, speed and yeah. defense. That's yeah. that's what's winning these games. I mean, that was yeah. the one thing I noticed uh, yesterday with Florida Atlantic. They were. They were double teaming players, but then when they got to when they passed the when Tennessee was able to pass the ball to the open guy, somebody was on him very quickly. Yep. You know, so when you have that type of speed and now you get your hands up and you're you're trying to block everything that that guy's got going on, like Tennessee started to get really nuts and start throwing just Hail Mary threes up. And I'm like, that you gotta go inside when this is starting to happen. You need to start taking two points yeah. and starting to starting to work that. But they don't think like that anymore. They're thinking they need to get the three to get back. They need that that clutch three to get just automatically go down. But when you're throwing up Hail Marys, that doesn't work. You know, Tennessee's just a bad shooting team anyway. And you know, again, another example of a team with veteran you get veteran guards that have some athleticism can play defense as peg says in this tournament it can it can even the playing field with you with the best teams yeah and, i would say uh marquez novell just having a great great tournament he yeah. you know, he had 19 assists last night he was playing hurt the other night so i, I just think he you know it's that god that that heartbeat of the team yeah and he had yeah. 14 he had 14 the previous game i think too byron so yeah 19 is a record 19 was the record yeah right, right. record yeah. 
Yeah. Building on what Byron just said, is there any one particular player in this tournament whose NBA stock as a result of this tournament is shot sky high? I can see, I can think of some that have gotten hurt <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, uh, guys that have been helped, uh, the guy we just talked about, I think has for sure. Um, I cool. think this is where what helps three and four year players. Uh, we're so oh, used please. to seeing one and duns, the, the, yeah. the freshmen and sophomores. This is where you could actually get diamonds in the rough with these three and four year players in the back end of the draft where, where you could get like, like I said, it, obviously it's like, it, it's hard to win an MVP uh, that when you're in the bottom half of the draft, if you get like 20 pick 20th or less, you, you, it, it, the likeliness of you winning an MVP falls down dramatically, but because you have these three and four year players, that's where you actually see some of the leadership come through. Uh, and that's, and I think that's where, uh, you will find a lot of diamonds in the rough that you will find that these three, uh, these juniors and seniors who want to then uh, designate themselves for the draft are going to get picked. And they're the ones that really get to shoot up from this. You know, yeah. a guy, you know, a guy who's really, I think, uh, it helped his stock and it was already OK because he's one of the best players in the country. But <laughs> The problem is nobody from Gonzaga and that name Stockton ever makes anything in the NBA, really. But Drew Timmy's helped himself a lot, and he's probably not going to be a huge star in the NBA, but he'll probably get drafted higher than he would have. He's had a great tournament, and you see what a great player he is, but it's going to be tough. None of the big men from Gonzaga ever seem to really do anything in the NBA. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I was about to say Timmy was going yeah. 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 Byron Byron's a great player, to watch. great player to watch in college for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Byron's down in Texas. He has two teams uh, down there. My number one pick, Houston, uh, is is down there. And Texas, they're both still in it, Byron. Um, which team do you think is better? I, I think Pax likes Texas uh, a little more than Houston. I like Houston a little bit more than Texas. Oh, I like I like Xavier. Xavier beats Texas today. Okay. Yeah. I don't too much like Texas, but I like Houston. But I, if – if Sasser can get well, but I don't know what the situation going to be. But you remember, I, I told you I like Houston, not like Alabama. So those two teams are the teams that I like from the, from the beginning. So I'm going to stick with those two teams. But Houston, but Texas, you know they they up and down. I don't, you never know what you're going to get when they show up. So yeah. they, I don't I don't think Texas going to go too much farther. Okay. Keith, let's get to your 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 very exciting Patriots. I mean, they've made some unbelievable free agent moves. Very um, exciting free agency. Yes, yes. I mean, the, the biggest the biggest story there is they signed punter uh, Carlos Watman. Um, I mean, that's the number one story out of out of New England this week. What's going on over there, Keith? Well, you know, we need a punter. They had to release. They released both the punters they had last year. Jake Bailey, they've had for a while, and he's been on a downward spiral for like three years. Um, but if that's the biggest story, it tells you how little has happened in, in camp. I mean, that getting rid of, of uh, Janu Smith, uh, you know, addition by subtraction, basically there. And then, you know, the biggest story to me is why they think swapping Juju Smith-Schuster Smith and Jacoby Myers for a few million. I mean, they're actually paying Schuster about the same as they would have had to keep Myers, and I don't get it. 
I mean, over the last three years, four years, I think Myers is a better player than Schuster. He had some good years in Pittsburgh, but those are quite a while ago. And I think Jacoby Myers is a more reliable player uh, than Schuster. And I, I just don't know what we're doing right now. I hope there's a plan. Belichick, Belichick wanted to raise up his TikTok rating. Uh, well, he did it. Yeah, it was. I don't think he knows what TikTok is. If you remember the Snapchat, uh, or what do you call it? Like, three years ago, FaceChat. Face. <laughs> well, ju- speaking of Juju Smith, he is not. He's he's put his foot down. He he will not pay hundred thousand dollars to get number nine uh, from Judon. So. He's put his foot down. He has not spent $100,000. I'm glad to see that he's uh, done that because uh, I'd rather see Matthew Judon wear the number that, uh, you know, he's become a Patriot favorite in anyway. So. Right, right. Okay, I did, we'll roll on with the big news here. Joe Judge will be uh, working with special teams and assistant Thank God, we finally get a guy in a position where he actually will has a chance to succeed. I mean, why you have a really good special teams coach coaching offense when your special team stinks? I have no idea. Wait, wait, wait! wait. When he coached the Giants, Joe Judge as a head coach, the Giants were awful on special teams. They lost one game because of special teams. He he don't know. Offside, Dexter Lawrence or someone was offside. There were other blunders on special teams. There's a big difference. He's not overseeing just that squad. He was a really good special teams coach with the Patriots. Patriots are known for their special teams all through their their run. They had good special teams. And this, this past year, it was just atrocious. And again, Bill Belichick, I think, I, you know, I love the guy, but I'm not sure what happened to him last year. And I hope he got help for whatever it was that was wrong with him. <laughs> well, Jack don't realize that Joe Judge was not the special teams coach for the Giants. They had a special teams coach. Now, he, but he was a head coach. He <laughs> oversee everything. If that's your baby, special yeah. teams, you take an extra interest in it. You're an expert. It's the same Joe Judge who uh, Coach Colombo quit the team over that, or got let go because he got in a big argument because Joe Judge was demonstrating blocking. Now, <laughs> Joe Judge, I don't know whether he knows anything about blocking or techniques or whatever. He was good for having guys run laps and do push-ups and sit-ups as punishment. Byron likes that type of discipline. By the way, I don't. But the guys got to be in shape. The guys got to be in shape. He punished the coaches, though, the same way he punished yeah. the players. That's funny. The coaches you know, were getting – To Jack's point, I mean, I will not argue the fact that he should have been the Giants' special teams coach and not the head coach, and I'll give you that. I agree too. And, and the special, were, special team is very important. I'll tell you that now. It's, people don't realize it. People. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, think about even in the Super Bowl. Agreed. In the Super Bowl, I mean, it was like the thirty-second yeah, ranked team in the special teams was Kansas City. Thirty-first was the Eagles, and it burnt the Eagles. It wound yeah. up burning the Eagles, so it, it made a really big difference. So, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, it's it's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. And by I the way, really. Giants coaches so, were getting a little flabby, so Joe Joe Judge having them do push-ups didn't hurt him in the. In the <laughs> so yeah, they came out with the list of of things that they're going to discuss at the the meeting for the rule changes. And did uh, one of the biggest things that I noticed was that they are not going to talk about the the uh, quarterback sneak that is not on the table to, what, to change the play. Pushing him? To, to change the play. Yeah, it is not on the table. They, they, nobody nobody brought it up. Nobody uh, 
put that to the competition committee. Yes. Uh, so I find that I found that very interesting. Uh, but the other thing I found interesting that came from the Eagles was the fourth and 20 from the 20. That's that is going to be the onsides kick. What are your thoughts on that? I don't like it. Me either. I, I, it's just, again, I mean, sometimes I feel like they're making rules changes just for the sake of making rules changes. I just, you can't recover onside kicks now, right? I mean, well, well I no, guess, no, no, no. It would be fourth and 20. It would be a fourth and 20 play oh, from the 20 yard line. I mean, and, it, and once you declare, cool. here's the other thing that happens with that. Once you declare yeah. that you are going for an onside kick play uh, no. or a recovery play, that uh, if you were to go off sides on that play, if the offense was to go off sides, that uh, you can't then switch to a kick. You now have fourth and 25. Yeah. You know, and you have to make that play. You're diametrically changing the way the game is played when you do that. And I would argue, and I don't see to know the stats, but my gut says I got a better chance of converting fourth and 20 than I do of getting an onside kick the way the onside kick rules have changed. Nobody can recover onside kicks anymore because of the way it's set up. I don't, I don't like it. You know, I mean, it changes again. It just changes the the entire way the game's played, and I don't like it. When you the do reason that. why the reason why onside kicks were so successful is because you could stuff the other line, you could run yeah. people around during the onside kick, you could do all that stuff at one time, and that's why they were successful. And they right. should go back to that if they want to make. I that agree. Oh, because that was about and Byron, and maybe I'm wrong because and I don't want to I don't want to sound like I don't care about injuries in the NFL, but I, if I'm not wrong, Byron, one of the reasons that rule was changed that you couldn't load up one side of the line was because of injuries. Yeah, and that that was mainly the rule. rule. Another thing too was the T. You know, you can set the ball on the tee, but now they're not line aligned right. anymore with the tee. Right, right, right. So, uh, I hate this. I hope this doesn't pass. They didn't pass it. They didn't vote it anything. Right? No, no. It's it's just part of the conversation here, uh, where it's like I said, it's like a fourth and twenty play, you know, from the twenty though. And I think that that's. I think that you are. Yeah, fourth and twenty from the twenty. I don't like. Like, I I would rather have it fourth and fifteen from the twenty-five at least because that's where they're putting it. Uh, they're changing the rule for a punt uh, that goes back into the end zone now. That that's going to come out to the twenty-five instead of the twenty, or at least that's also being asked about. Uh, they're also asking about the third. Uh, there's a to get that third. Uh, challenge you only need one of your challenges to be correct rather than two that's also on the table uh, so it's maybe i'm all right with that i guess but let me tell you they gotta add fun to the game the problem with all of you guys on here all of you you're too much traditionalists what they should do for non-side kick a team takes the ball no kick they have it at their own 25 yard line they got 75 yards to go but you're allowed to forward pass it as much as you want, and every play is eligible. Every single play is eligible. And can you imagine you keep throwing it down the field? That's what they did as kids. You know, you could defense it by keeping cornerbacks back, but every single play is eligible. You could keep forward passing it. And you know how exciting that would be for the fans? That's unheard of, Jack. It's like playing kids rugby or something. There you go. You would have loved that, though, right? You would have loved that. Jack, I got it. I got a Siri. Do you mind if I pass on your contact information to the Rock? Because I think you should be the commissioner of the XFL. Yeah, but that's the fun. Listen, 
the ABA, when they came into existence and they had the three-point shot, the NBA laughed at it at the that's, time. That's a little different. That's a little different. That's a little bit different. Maybe that's extreme, but let me say this. Maybe they get the ball on the other team's 30 and they're allowed one forward pass, you yeah. know, a one forward lateral. Well, I like I like the fourth and fifteen play. I think that uh, a fourth and fifteen play is enough. I I don't like the idea when they're when they're talking about fourth and twenty because fourth and twenty obviously like the, and the Eagles are the ones that actually put this out there uh, that it would be a fourth and twenty from the twenty. And the hard part I have with that is that you are if you miss that play or worse yet, you get a holding play. Now it's now it's fourth and 30 from the 10 and you miss that play. Well, now they only got 10 yards to go. And I think that that's a little unrealistic. You know, I think that you a fourth and 15 from the 25 to get to the 40 is where that should be. Now, you know, that rule change, could I still onside kick if I wanted to, though, Pegs? No, no. So once you were to be no onside kicks. There, there would be no on. Well, no, you could be, you could go for an onside kick whenever you want to. That, that's still allowed at okay. any time. But if you chose, you could actually go for an actual play and yeah. to try to get a recovery. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's called, it's called a, a, a possession recovery. You know, that's, I, that's what they're doing. Is Rob Manfred involved in these conversations, or what's well, the deal? is right. The onside kick is a complete waste of time. Let me let me, let me say something here. At one time in the NFL, they, they way back when, when NFL first started, they had a lot of this stuff you're talking about now, Jack. Right? They had they had all kinds of different plays, forward laterals, and they were optioning everybody. Sort of what has come back to today. I think they got it right in the seventies and eighties. Football is football. Don't change where it came to when it got very popular. Leave it alone. You don't have to do all these improvements. For, what do you think? People are going to stop watching the NFL? That's not going to happen. No. The NFL is very strong. And the best times, what's known as the best times during the NFL were the 70s and the 80s and a little bit yeah. of the 90s too. If they continue, they'll go the way of the Major League Baseball and they'll go from the most popular sport to – by far not the most popular sport because they change the rules and they keep diametrically changing the way the game is played. So let me ask you this question. Rather than changing it to an actual play, if you were to make the the defense on an onside, on a kick, on any kick, make them have to line up 15 yards back rather than 10, not at the line, they can't have to be 10 yards away. If you had them go 15 yards away, that that's the line that they are able to, because the one thing that I don't like is that you're not on the, if you're on the uh, defensive side of the kick where you can only have six, uh, five players on either side, mm -hmm. you have to have five players on either side. Well, the defense has 10 guys now up on the line and they are, they can situate to whichever side they want to, you know, there, there's no rule saying on them. It's only on the kicking team. But if you had them line up 15 yards and the ball still got to go 10, well, now you at least got the op, you know, opportunity to be able to get that onside kick because they got to come up five and you have to go 10. I kind of like that idea yeah. a lot yeah. better, you know, in terms of doing that. But then I think you'll wind up having teams onside kick all the time. Well, you don't want that. I mean, you've got to temper that. But I like the idea of improving your odds of getting an onside kick better than just changing the way the game's played entirely. 
you know, by giving this fourth and 20 play. So, Keith, let's, let's... what's your read on the Lamar Jackson situation? Because I, I think we've lost about 25% of our viewers talking about onside kicks. And, and we'll lose about 25% more talking about Lamar again. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's go to the Knicks, Keith. Um, so, the Knicks, John Randall... We just lost all of our viewers because we're talking about the Knicks. <laughs> There's still Knicks fans out there, believe it or not. Uh, I'm here. I'm here. Julius Randle gets upset with Emmanuel quickly. Um, you know, a lot of people think this is divisive. It's no good. I think it has something to do with the pressure. I think Randle is a hell of a competitor this year. He wants to win, and he'll argue with anybody to win. So I kind of like it, Keith. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, you know, there's two sides to it. I agree. There is something to that, right? I watched, I watched Tom Brady get in people's faces for 20 years, and it was not a bad thing. It was you know, he was doing it because he was a, a competitor, wanted to win and wanted everybody to want to win and, and play this the right way. But so it feels more like the the panic stuff to me. And it, and, and again, speaks to the maturity of this the, some of these guys that when things start going bad, we start doing things like this. And it seems like every time the Knicks go into a little bit of a tailspin, something like this pops its ugly head up and it often involves Julius Randle. And now again, maybe you're, maybe if I give him the benefit of doubt and he's trying to motivate the other players, well then God bless him. But I, my gut says that's not it. Um, and again, this is where Tom Thibodeau has got to take yes. charge and keep these guys on the same page. We're all in this together. We just had a, a, a tremendous run uh, and this team is capable of doing some special things, but you all got to be on the same page. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Thibodeau's kind of lost his edge there, uh, you know, with the, with the veteran players coming in. Uh, you, you know, know. It, you know, he has the kids there. He can yell at them and they listen. But when you start getting, uh, you know, Brunson and, and, and Randall's getting older and stuff, it's a little harder to control the team. I've been a big uh, proponent of, uh, of Tibbs through the years, but, you know, and I hate to say this because I'll be playing right into the mad New Yorkers hands, but maybe Tibbs is taking this team as far as it can. He can, I'm not sure. And it might be time for a new voice if things don't turn around here and it's getting, now it's getting late, you yeah. know? But you're saying if maybe Tibbs should be on the hot seat, Keith, you're thinking. So in other words, you feel if another coach came in, he could take this team to a higher level. It's possible. Again, he, oh, come on, Keith. Uh, come on. They, they've maxed out. They're playing as well as they could play. Nobody's been a bigger proponent of this guy than me through the years. And I didn't want – I said this was always a wrong way to go. <clears throat> I, but, the, but the promise this team showed – and, again, that was partly because of him as well. I'm not – yeah, I can't not give him credit when they were playing well um, and then say he's a problem now. I'm not – again, this – if they if they continue the slide and they go out in the first round of playoffs, I'm telling you, everybody's in trouble. Him, Leon Rose, everybody's in trouble. This team has a first round exit in the playoffs. But you know, there's going to be a lot of disappointed teams this year because there are a lot of good teams that are going to go out in the first round in both the East and the West. I mean, take right. a team like the Cavaliers; they might go out in the first round. Listen. The Celtics of Bucks might go out in the first round, all we know. I mean, what happens? Cleveland is a number four seed. They play in the number three seed. Cleveland's capable of knocking off whoever's the number three seed. Let's say it's Philadelphia. They might go out in the first they, but round. But they ain't going to play then the third seed. Gonna, 
Yeah. There's no way that that's happening. Look at and, and here's the difference between all of those cities and this one. This is New York City. This is a James Dolan, and this is a franchise that hasn't won a championship in 50 years this year. 50th anniversary of their last championship season. And and by the way, uh, I'll take this moment to say rest in peace, Willis Reed, greatest greatest Nick leader of all time. Maybe not the best player. But he was the heart and soul of that championship team and a, and a real leader on the court, which is lacking in sports all over the place today. So, again, th- that's why Thibodeau's in trouble, because this city wants to win. 50 years is, you know, good grief. That's a long time. <laughs> when did the Sixers last win an NBA championship? What was it? Julius Erding and Moses yeah. Well, I just think of how long that was. That's like around 40, 40 years ago. It's, it's, it's 40 years. I can do the math. It's 10 more years long, uh, less yeah. than the next. <laughs> Listen, it, it, it's, not, it, it's definitely not easy to win an NBA championship. We're not all the Golden State Warriors and, and that have the perfect team and, and the perfect, uh, you know, chemistry. Keith, you know, I, I think what Tim's problem is this year, I think, again, I think it's because he has too many – uh, veterans and too many uh, uh, people on there that he can't control like he used to. And I think the Knicks need a coach that can bring in consistency. And, 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 you know, if you, you know what you, you got to win with your defense as, as always, always, and you got to be able to rebounding and get and the Knicks have come away from that. I see him shooting a lot of, a lot of offense this year. I see him shooting a lot of bad shots, uh, rushing yeah. the ball, uh, it's just not consistent like it used to be. You know, the guy, if they were going to make a move, the guy I would like to have seen get a chance here, and now he's been hired by the Hawks, is I like Quinn Snyder a lot. I think he did great things out there in Utah with, you know, not as much uh, uh, stuff to work with than, than a lot of coaches. Um, he has some great players, but, again, they don't have the same. They, that's not James Dolan with the Knicks, and, you know, as far as opportunity. I would like to have seen that. And so if there's a Quinn Snyder type out there, you know what? And don't, this will sound a little, maybe a little far-fetched. I don't know, but the Knicks have dabbled here before. If they decide they want to make a change, I guarantee it. Jay Wright's going to get a phone call. Guaranteed. He may not want to do it, but he's going to get a phone call. And then uh, if you hire a guy like a James Wright, and we shouldn't even be talking about moving on from Thibodeau, (laughs) But let's say the Knicks did that. Jay Wright would only come to the Knicks if he had 100% control of all decision-making. And we know the way things work in sports. The GMs, the owners, et cetera, don't want to give up that power. They don't want to give up. And Jay Wright would have to have absolute power, 100% say in everything. Well, I would tell you that if if a change gets made, now let me just say this: I don't necessarily want a change to get made right now. I like Tibbs. I want him to keep this team moving forward and win some playoff games and be dangerous in the playoffs. And if they aren't, it might be time to consider. That's all I'm saying. And if they were, if they if if things they fall on their flat fat on their fat flat on their face in the playoffs, everybody's going to go. Which means they may bring somebody in and give them control because Leon Rose won't be here either. So let's let's turn to Philadelphia news. We haven't touched on that yet. I know Pags is bummed out about that and talking about the Knicks and all that stuff. So let's get some Philadelphia sports news. Of course, we already mentioned Zeke Elliott is is looking at the Eagles um, to you know to, to go there. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, that's got blasphemy, isn't it? Jeez. Could you imagine? Um, 
They they bring in bags. They bring they're bringing in um, a free agent, Canoe Neal, for a visit as a safety, but he can play linebacker. Something that the Eagles could use. Somebody could play, uh, you know, uh, a linebacker in a, in a in a safety position. What are your thoughts? Have you have you seen this this uh, this this news item here? No, no. Uh, but I, I I like that thought process just in general because ultimately that's what you're running into. This is uh, that defenses are going are starting. At least I believe that these defensive coordinators, and this is kind of a little bit what Gannon was doing and a little bit on what this guy does as well, is that these are renditions of the uh, the old uh, six, uh, four, six defense. You know, that's really what this becomes, that this isn't the, you know, that it's no longer uh, the four, three, that you want to be able to have almost like six guys that can either cover or can, uh, rush the quarterback the the problem i have with our defensive coordinator or at least i i mean i i don't i can't speak intelligently yet because i haven't seen him yet but that he has the very similar problem to gannon where he just doesn't know how to spell the word blitz you know and he doesn't know how to call blitzes ups and, and i i want to see some blitzing i want to be able to uh surprise teams with the fact that hey we're going to have an extra person coming in on the quarterback you know and you know, that could mean that somebody has got to do their job a little better um, in terms of the cornerbacks and the guys that are covering. So I kind of like the idea of a safety slash linebacker. Well, you know, I, I get why the Eagles don't do it because they have such an awesome front four and what they set the record last year with sacks could put more people in coverage. So I get why they do that, Pags. Um, so, I, I mean, I know why they don't call as many blitzes as they use, as they maybe they should. So, uh, well, I, I agree. But then when you have a, a situation like the Super Bowl, you almost, you know, you were getting beat anyways. You were starting, you were starting to, they were starting to get it downfield pretty quickly. Why not try to blitz? Why not try to do something different? Uh, because ultimately they're getting, they're getting you. They, they were walking down the field and getting these, uh, getting these scoring drives in four minutes time. You know, it's like you have to you have to do something different then sometimes. And and that was what Gannon refused to do. I hope this guy's a little different where he's able to say, uh, you know, I don't care if you're not blitzing all the time. But, you know, like I think Gannon was like he blitzed like 10 percent of the time. It was like far less than every other NFL team this past season. And then this guy, this guy blitzes a little bit more because obviously he was a defensive coordinator. So he obviously did blitz more than Gannon did, but not much more from what I understand. Yeah. Well, as ba- Byron knows, you, there's two types of blitzes, really. There's a there's a, a you know quarterback blitz, and there's also a running back, a running game blitz, which you can use a lot to be effective, too, on first and second downs, um, you know, to stop to stop some of these these big running plays and stuff like that, that, that would jump up when they're pulling guards and all that good stuff. So there's two types of blitzes, and, and the running back, uh, the running blitz is almost as effective as a passing blitz sometimes, depending on the down. Um, so uh, Nicholas Moreau signs a free agent one-year deal, uh, Pags. I don't know much about him. Um, I was wondering maybe if you did. Uh, of course, a one-year deal is just a show-me year kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that they're good at doing that. I, I, I've never, I don't even know who he is. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that kind of tells me, like, uh, you know, they're going to have people come in. I uh, like I said, I kind of feel that they're going to have Matt Ryan come in. You know, like I, I don't, I don't see where he's getting signed anywhere else. I kind of think that he's going to be on a, you know, a come into camp contract. You know, let's see what you got to see if uh, you're interested in being the backup here. Um, you know. I also have this I have this very funny situation or funny thing that I think about in terms of Cam Newton. You know, and would it be worth it to bring Cam Newton into this camp? I know he's going for a starting you know quarterback position because he's got he's like there's no way that there are 32 quarterbacks in this league that are better than me. So I I understand where that's coming from, but I would I wouldn't mind bringing Cam Newton in to have his set of eyes start to talk to Jalen Hurts because they are very similar quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, and I, if he's willing, if he's willing to take that role, I agree right, with you. Right. I have my doubts. He thinks he can play. There are 32 quarterbacks in the league better than Cam Newton now. Absolutely. <laughs> At least 32. At there least. are 96 quarterbacks. <laughs> better than him. He's good enough to hold a roster spot. Is either a, a, definitely a third string quarterback, possibly a second string, depending on how he looks, you know, whatever camp he's in. But there are 32 quarterbacks better than him. Now, he's no longer a starter. He was given this opportunity. He, and, you know, had he played actually well at New England, he would have held on to that job. It's you think Zach Wilson's better than him? Now, no, no, not right at this point. I wouldn't say that. But Zach Wilson, let's give him a chance more to develop. We know what Cam Newton's about now. Zach Wilson is not a starter. I mean, Mike White uh, played in last year, so you know he's not. No, no, Zach Wilson's got upside. At least you invested heavily in him. He's going to be the backup. He's not a starter. So, uh, so that's my point. What I'm trying to make, I don't know, but, but Cam Newton's not a start in this league anymore. Byron, yeah, <laughs> let me just Byron. Now, I'm gonna say Cam Newton might be going to Detroit, so uh, you know, he, he might be going to Detroit to be As a backup to Jared Joff. I, I yeah. can understand that, doesn't I'm he? Not- yeah, you know, Byron. Do you think he understands that though? Because again, we keep talking, he's not one of the best 32 quarterbacks in, in the NFL, but. Does he know that? Because I don't, I don't get the impression he thinks that. I don't think he thinks that, but reality should be setting in. But you know, when you said that almost the whole year, that, that indicate that you are not in the top thirty-two for sure. Now, I did hear he's one of the best players at Auburn Pro Day, but I don't think that really means a whole lot. So. <laughs> I can tell you something. Who was this coach all those years with the Panthers? Ron Rivera. Don't you think Ron Rivera would bring him in? If he thought Captain Newton was anywhere near the play, was there a former MVP on the Ron Rivera at Carolina? Yet the commanders have no interest in him. He also saw the selfish side of Cam Newton as well. So he may have his reservations because of some of the downside with Cam Newton. Absolutely. So. I think that's more more it than anything else. Yeah. So Pax, back back to you, Philly. Uh 76er news. Harden, as as we talked about before, he sits. And bed exits in a mile calf, uh, tightening. Uh, but uh, you know, you you have uh, Maxi who played a really good game uh, as the 76ers pound the Bulls. Listen, I you know I think that Harden. You know, we talk. I talk about a big three. Maybe the wrong 
wrong term to use. But I think the 76ers, if you if you count all their pieces in their front five, I think they're a very strong contender uh, for the East title. Yeah, they just don't have the bench. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. That's the problem. Uh, you know, when you think about the the way that Boston's bench outscores other benches, and they, they typically are outscoring other benches by about 20 points a game. And uh, you know, when you're trying to make up 20 points a game, it's hard to do. It's it's just hard to do game in, game out. And that's why I don't think that they are. So if it right now, if it if it was to end today, you know, our second round matchup would be against Boston. Now we're gonna have another matchup against them on the fourth in Philadelphia of April. And it, it'll be I'll be interested to see how that game actually comes out you know like it's if they can keep it close and and maybe win the game like because boston's beaten us every time we played them so far this season so until the until the sixers can win a game i thought you won the last one i thought mb i thought mb went crazy no he threw that he threw that crazy three and was it was past the buzzer gotcha so uh but that was that was tatum that hit that clutch three right to, to win the game uh, and, and and it happens, like I said, it's every every game we've played against them, they have beaten us. So until they can really get one under their belt to say, yes, we can beat you. Now, the problem is, is that they're probably not going to have Harden for that game. So mm-hmm. if, you know, with Harden being there and Harden, when Harden has really good defense on him, he's he is not the same. He doesn't. He's, he doesn't have the speed to be able to get away from some of the defense like he did in Houston. That's the. I think that's the biggest difference in Harden's game is that when he when he's defended, he can't get away from the defender quick enough. And Pat, that's, uh, you shouldn't be so confident how far the Sixers are going to go because I'm taking a look. They're going to be two playing teams. So that means when the smoke clears, the playing tournament's over. You're going to have eight teams left. The third seed, the Sixers, as of now, they're the third seed. Maybe they'll wind up second seed for all we know. But if the season ended in this pattern, they're the third seed. They would play the sixth seed, who we could project might be the Miami Heat. And that's a dangerous opening round for the Sixers against a motivated Jimmy Butler who wants to stick it to the Sixers, his old team. He uh, yeah, I think I think that that yeah, I, I don't think that the Heat have it as well this year. So I, I think that the, it may be a tougher series, but it was I think the Sixers win that series. I don't think that the Sixers get past the second round, and I think yeah. that the problem is is that it doesn't matter whether they're playing the Bucks or the Celtics. They just don't have the bench in either di- direction. You know what I mean? And that's the problem. That's what I see. Pags, uh, with with the Phillies, couple couple things happened there. Um, you had a, a, a terrible knee injury. Um, with Reese right, Hoskins. Right, Reese Hoskins. Um, I guess, from what I understand, he might be out for the season. We had a comment on there earlier. Uh, how's that going to affect the Phillies? Uh, so... I, it, I'm interested to find out. I thought that he was going to be trade bait this year. 
that I thought that, that because he becomes a free agent, they no longer have any more control over him. There's no more arbitration when it comes to Reese Hoskins, that they were going to either, that this was a contract year that he was going to be playing for. And now I think because of that, he's going to be out for the season. I don't know that, I, I'd like to know exactly what the dugout is going to be like without him. I think that he was part of that camaraderie there, and now he's not going to be there. I'm not worried about what's going to happen at first base because truth of the matter is, I kind of feel like uh, that we're going to we could put Schwarber at first base, that he could play first base there, um, or you could wind up even putting uh, instead of if you have your outfield in great shape, you could put. Bryce Harper at first base when he comes back. Uh, in the meantime, I think you're going to wind up with Derek Hall, who is going to play first base, or there is even a, a local kid, and his name escapes me right now, who's a local kid to Philadelphia, who's been playing in the split squad games, who could maybe even get called up. Uh, I don't know. I haven't followed him so much in, in spring training, but I, I don't think that it's the biggest deal in the world that he is hurt in terms of the team. Uh, and like just the way that this team is constructed, I do think that it may actually affect us some in the dugout. Yeah. And you spoke of Bryce Harper. It looks like he might even be back before the all-star break. Uh, yeah, I don't believe that. But not able to play in the field, right? Even if he comes back then, can he play in the field at all? I, I Again, that's why I don't believe that. I think no. that he's going to wind up um, – I, I still have August 1st as his his return time. Uh, if they're able to get him at bat sooner than that, that's one thing. But, again, I mean, I, I, do you really want – like, I would want him out in the field. You know what I mean? That's kind of what it is. I don't want him to have to strain. But that's why I think maybe playing first base wouldn't be so bad for him because it wouldn't put the stress on his arm. Still got to throw the ball, though. I mean, you know. You got to throw the ball. You have to throw the ball, but not as much when you're in first no. base. No, but speaking of first base real quick, uh, I saw some reports and I, I wanted to ask you about this, that Alex Baum might move to thir first base and they, they got this other kid. They might play at uh, third base. I can't remember his name. Sosa, maybe. Uh, well, Sosa, Sosa was the one that came up uh, last year, but he was the yeah. one. Everybody knows him when he was playing, I think, for Cincinnati. He's the one that hit the, you know, hit the umpire in the head. Oh, okay. <laughs> the ball. So, I mean, he, he's not a bad third baseman there. He has, he does have some speed. I, I think that, you know, I don't, I don't know how you feel, how I feel about that. I think Bohm was working really hard to get better at third base. And then when it came to the world series, he was like a vacuum over there. Yeah. I you agree. Know, he, so I, I don't know how I feel about that. Why, why give him a hit to his ego? by taking him away from the spot that he's worked really hard at to get better at. Uh, so, but I, again, that's why they pay other, you know, coaches to make those decisions rather than me. Keith, uh, a, a new uh, book documentary of Reggie Jackson is coming out. Um, I don't know if you've uh, seen that. No, yeah. it's, it premieres tomorrow on uh, Prime Video, yeah. And uh, I guess it has something to do with his, I don't know, his uh his affairs or his uh is something to do with some kind of thing with uh, uh with with his personal life as well as professional um, yeah 
Um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, of Reggie Jackson, really. I mean, he did have that great, uh, you know, World Series game. Other than that, I really, I really wasn't a big fan of Reggie Jackson. Well, I, you know, Reggie was very polarizing, obviously. And, you know, was Reggie Jackson the best player ever played in a Yankee uniform? No, he only played here five years. He gets his number retired. He's kind of black. I mean, it's crazy, but. This will dive into a lot of that stuff, from what I understand. Also, his departure from the Yankees recently, because he was what he was worked for the Yankees for a long time after he finally retired, uh, right. even though he had a you know a acrimonious uh, um, departure back in the eighties. But um, he worked for them a long time, but he felt really marginalized. He called himself a, a glorified hood ornament that they didn't they didn't take any of his input. It, and I don't know how valuable it was anyway, but he left the organization a couple of years ago and went to the Astros. Um, so he gets into that, that after George died, the rest of the Steinberger family just kind of turned their back on him, even though they kept him on the payroll. Um, right. There's something to be said for that, Reggie, by the way. Um, I don't see other teams knocking your door down to be a GM or, you know, even a, a senior advisor, but. I'm interested in it. I'll watch it because, again, it was a, it's a, it's it was a, it was quite a time to be a Yankee fan. Obviously, in the late '70s and early '80s, with Reggie around, so it'll be interesting his story, how he tells the stories about him and Billy and all that stuff. So I was at those World Series games, all of them in 1977, and his three home game was so electrifying. Oh, one yeah. of the great moments in New York sports history. But when you talk about loyalty in a certain sense or wanting the limelight, consider this. Reggie Jackson played five years for the Yankees. I believe he played nine for the Oakland Athletics, and he won three world championships with the Athletics, two with the Yankees. He was with the Athletics a lot longer, you could argue, a few more seasons, yet he went into the Hall of Fame with the Yankee uniform on. So he, he kind of wanted the glitz. And I'm not saying I wouldn't have done that necessarily if I was in this spot. If he grew up as a Yankee fan, I could understand that. But he didn't grow up as a Yankee fan. But was the limelight? Oh, I'm going to the Yankee over maybe doing the more proper thing and going in as an Oakland A. Because he had the option to decide. The, those were, yes, but he did. And all players did up until a certain point. They don't anymore because there was some shenanigans going on. And there was always chatter that the Yankees and George made sure that he wore a, a Yankee hat in there and incentivized them to do so. And if you remember, the players could choose. And I think that, if I'm not mistaken, the breaking point was when Wade Boggs chose to go in as a uh, Tampa Bay Ray when he played one year there because they paid him a bunch of money to wear the Tampa Bay logo. And that's when Major League Baseball said, we will now decide what hat you wear. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great topic. Uh, Dave Winfield, he could have gone in as a Yankee or Padre. Let's be honest. Dave Winfield wasn't a Yankee legend, but the Padres gave him a million dollars to go in as a Padre. Yeah. Because it meant something to them to do that. I, Gary Carter was forced to go in as an expo. But a lot of people think of Gary Carter's a New York Met. He was just as much a Met as an Expo, but he thought, but he was forced to go in as an Expo. Catfish, Catfish Hunter went in with no emblem on his hat because he didn't want to decide be, between the A's and the Yankees. So he went in with nothing on his hat. Well, that, you see, that was wrong. Catfish Hunter should have gone in as an Oakland A. I disagree. Yeah. yeah. As an Oakland A. Uh, yeah, Mike Mussina, he. He went in with Noel emblem because he played for the Orioles and the Yankees, but he was with the Orioles a teeny bit longer. 
flip-flop Mike Messina's service with the Yankees and the Orioles, then he would have gone in as a Yankee. Well, I certainly respect guys who go in with no emblem, other guys like Wade Boggs who take a big chunk of money for one year with the Rays and go in as a Ray. So uh, the uh, it looks like the Boston Bruins are going to set the record for a regular season. I know Pags is, is our big hockey guy here. Um, what kind of pressure, if they win, if they if they set that record, Pags, what kind of pressure would they be under to win the, the Stanley Cup to? Huge. Uh, well, I think they're under big pressure to do that, to be honest. I, 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 I'm such a hockey fan and I, I, I don't like Boston as much at all, but I, I appreciate the fact that they are having this historic type season. And it, the one thing uh, that I've learned when you have these type of historic type seasons that you have a very difficult time putting it into the next gear when the playoffs hit. Uh, and uh, I, I wonder if they were going to run into that same issue. So I, I, I feel that it's important to them to make it to the cup and win the cup. Uh, Cause if, if you were to lose, like I, I think of the last time, like Tampa Bay had 116 points and then like got knocked out in the first round. Uh, and because they weren't able to change, you know, to, to shift into that next gear for the playoffs, because every other team is about to do that. So yeah. I, I'm interested to see if they can make it. I, I don't know if they will. My oh. my odds on is that they will, that they will be able to do it and that they're going to finish this and it make it a completely historic season. Does it yeah. make it, does, does it make it kind of root for them a little bit? <laughs> no. Worse. no, I ain't rooting for him. <laughs> I just asked you, Pags. I know you're a hockey fan, so I figured I'd ask that. Um, a, a big thing that I saw today anyway, Jack, I think Jack knows about it. Russell Peltz uh, gets, I think it was the best boxing book of the year or something, Jack, uh, with the Bloody Nose uh, book there. Yeah, he's a Philadelphia promoter. He, he promoted his career in Philadelphia, legendary Philadelphia promoter Russell Peltz. He wrote a book, $30 in the cut eye, talking right. about all his experiences, all the shows he put on, how he could remember all the fighters. He kept every receipt down to the penny what it costs. And uh, there's a West Coast Boxing Hall of Fame. They voted them, you know, a Book of the Year award. But really? it's a great book, $30 in the cut eye uh, by Russell Peltz. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, I've been getting into the books lately. I mean, you know, Reggie Reggie Jackson got a documentary. I imagine that'll be a book. Um, you know, Russell Peltz. I got the Roy White book coming uh, from Camden. Uh, you know, from Camden on and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's it's, it's going to be really it's really interesting anyway. You know, the, I'll tell you what's interesting. People on balance aren't reading as much now as they did years ago. You know, you get guys like Byron who are on social media all the time. Do they actually sit down and read a book the way they should? Do you read Byron? You read. Every day. I read every day. As much as you used to, because I know I don't. I don't, and I'm guilty of it. Because I'm on social media, looking at the news and all that, so you know, I'd like to, to get back to book reading again uh, for more people. I read. I don't read a book. I, everything's on Kindle now. Though the problem is that there's books I want that I can't find on Kindle. The older books, right? So uh, I haven't bought a book in forever. It's all on, you know, one, my little Kindle pad. So I try I to read a little, little bit because of the concussions. You know, I had all these concussions. You know, I had my jaw broken. Tons of concussions, so you have to read just to keep up with the 
Yeah. We call all of your memories. So. Mm -hmm. I knew Byron was reading. He'd be reading scriptures and he'd be reading, you know, about sports and stuff. I know Byron's reading. So uh, Pax, he doesn't read at all. I mean, I don't think Pags reads at all. So, you know. You can anyway. read. I think Pags can read. I don't know what you're implying there. I'm, can I'm, read. I mean, he just never has read his whole life, I don't think. Unless uh, he, he was forced. Yeah, well, well he's he, a voluntary reader. Like he would get a book, The History of the Philadelphia Eagles, and look at the pictures, the captions on the bottom, rather than uh, too hard for you know, This is unfair ganging up on Pags. <laughs> I know, I, mean, I know, I know. I mean, we know Pags reads the articles about himself. I'm sure he reads. About <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Keith Byron Mack. When yes. Pags has those Philadelphia Eagle buses traveling to a game, let's say to Washington to play the Commanders, all those people, his people on the bus. How many of them are actually reading? No one is reading. Oh, on that it's very quiet. Very quiet. I would be sitting with a book and reading. Passing the time. See, see, and that's where you guys are so wrong because I absolutely do read to those buses. We get out green eggs and ham. <laughs> and we. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be, you know, Dickens and, uh, you know. And drink green beer. Well, folks, it's coming to the top of the hour. So we're going to say goodbye to you. Have a great Friday night. Uh, the Jack and Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show. Pags will be there tomorrow as we debate some of the biggest topics, old and new in, in sports. Uh, Byron is on uh, every Wednesday, JB Talking Shop with Jim Jeffcoat. Uh, Jack has his boxing show coming up Monday. Uh, Glove Fist with Frank Lotierzo. And of course, Keith, TGI Sports. He does three different shows a week. Um, unbelievable with the NCAA, covers the Knicks, the Yankees, the. the uh, I was going to say Giants, but he doesn't cover the Giants. He covers the Patriots. His loss, what can I tell you? You know. Well, you know, I went to a small school here and didn't learn much. <laughs> oh, that's why you and Pat's get along so well. Okay, guys. <laughs> Have a great Friday and enjoy the night, and we'll see you tomorrow, Saturday. Take care, folks.